as it's been read to us. Um, and if I was to title this sermon, um, I'd, I'd simply call it Messy Missionary. All right, messy missionary. We're going to look at Jonah, and we're going to see how messy he was, but at the same time, how he was still a missionary. All right. Um, and so, what I'll do is I'll pray. Uh, I'll ask that you pray for me as I pray for you. That God would do something more powerful than we could ever imagine right here this very morning. All right. And so, Father, we come to you now, asking that you would open up your Word to us, that you would make it clear, uh, that we would see you for who you are. Um, we ask for wisdom. We ask for insight. Uh, we ask that you would uh, open our hearts, uh, that you would remove any distractions here this morning, and, uh, and that your spirit would truly, truly move. Uh, and so it's to that end that I ask that you would stand in my body, that you would think through my mind, that you would speak through my mouth, those things you'd have us know, say, and do. Uh, I ask that the meditations of my heart and our hearts uh, would be pure in your sight. Uh, Father, have your way with us this morning. Uh, let your kingdom come, let your will be done. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Jonah chapter 3. Um, let me bring us up to speed uh, for those who haven't been with us during this, this series. And so Jonah, a prophet of God, a servant of God, gets a word from the Lord. And he says, listen, uh, Jonah, I want you to go to the city called Nineveh. And I want you to go uh, preach there. I want you to go and tell them about me. And so Jonah gets up and goes, you know what, that's not going to happen. He heads in the opposite direction. Becomes disobedient to God's calling over his life. And so God uh, begins to recalculate him by sending a few things uh, to him, to Jonah, uh, that would bring him back to God, right? So he sends the storm. He then sends the great fish to swallow up Jonah. So then we move into chapter 2. And so Jonah's now in the belly of the fish. And it, God's giving Jonah some time to think about what he's done. It's an opportunity for Jonah to reflect and as he reflects, as he realizes that he's become disobedient to God, it takes him to a place of repentance. That's where he turns from whatever he was pursuing, hoping that that, will, that is what would give him life, and then turning back to God, wanting to be obedient to him. And that repentance leads to rejoicing. And so that's where we ended in Jonah chapter 2. And so Jonah chapter 3 picks up with, uh, so Jonah's just, he's been spat out onto dry land, right? All of this an act of God's grace, that God is still fully in control. He finds himself on dry land, and so this is where we pick up Jonah chapter 3. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time. Now let's stop here. The word of Jonah, no, no, then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time, uh, I want us to see that as we're talking about God's grace, God's grace is about second chances. That God's grace is about second chances. See, Jonah has been disobedient, but after realizing this, he repents, turns back to God, and then God says, you know what, I'm going to give you another chance. Because that's what grace is about. Grace is about second chances, but not just second chances. Grace is about third chances. Fourth chances, fifth chances, fiftieth chances, one hundredth chances. I know many of you are sitting here and going, listen, I can, I can testify to that. 
If you knew my life, I can testify to that, that God is about grace, giving grace, and grace is about second chances. Because I know you and I, if, if I was God, and Jonah said, listen, Jonah, this is what I want you to do, and he goes, nope, not happening, I'd be like, okay, Jonah, I'm just going to go find someone else. I'm just going to go find someone else. But aren't we incredibly thankful that we are not God? That we don't just give up on people. That, that grace is about second chances. That God is, is about drawing you and I to himself. Even as we are disobedient. Grace is about second chances. And so the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time. Saying, verse 2, arise, go to Nineveh that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. Let's pause again and ask the question, what message? What is this message that, that, that I must go and tell the city? See, we should go back to Jonah chapter 1, where God first called Jonah, where he first gave him the message. So Jonah chapter 1, verse 2, this is the first time the word comes to Jonah, arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it. Here's the message. For their evil has come up before me. For their evil has come up before me. That's what I want you to do, Jonah. I want you to go to the city and and call out to them because they have done evil towards me. See, grace is about second chances, but, but hear this. Grace comes after judgment. Grace is about second chances, but hear this, grace comes after judgment. Now, we're about to talk about something that that I know many of us feel very uncomfortable about. In fact, uh, the church today doesn't want to talk about judgment. People no longer want to talk about God's judgment. It's, It's uncomfortable. We don't want to see God that way. But the problem with that is that if we don't talk about God's judgment, then then how can we understand His grace? God is a God of judgment. He's a God of judgment. We may not want to hear this, but it's, it's true. He's a God of judgment. Now you might sit there and go, but, but then, then how can he be a God of love? See, I struggle to see that God is a God of judgment because I believe that God is a God of love. So, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ex- try to explain it. And I'm going to go really, really slowly, not because I think you're stupid. There are incredibly smart people in this room, many who cum laude their master's degrees. <laughs> Hashtag, we won't say your name, but you know who you are. But, but, so I'm going to go slowly because, because I think it's incredibly important, and it is difficult to understand, but it's true because it's in the scriptures. And so hear this. God is a God of judgment, Because God loves justice. He believes in justice. You see, if if God didn't believe in justice, then he wouldn't be a God of love. If if we have done something wrong, then there must be punishment for it. There has to be punishment for it. Otherwise, God wouldn't be a God of justice. If God was a God who just said, you know what, you can do whatever you want, and it's okay, It's okay. We'll figure it out somewhere down the road. It's okay. You do you. That's introduction to to chaos and anarchy. Literally. 
I, um, a couple years ago, read this story about a, a teenage boy in Texas um, who, who got drunk, got behind a wheel, um, and then killed four people. Killed four people. And then his defense, right, his defense was what they call um, affluenza. Affluenza. Now, I'm glad many of you are sitting there going, what on earth is that? Um, affluenza, and this is what they said, is, uh, is the fact that he's, because his parents were rich, and they had, you know, they, could, they gave him everything, and they allowed him to do whatever he wanted, that resulted in him getting behind the wheel, drunk, killing four people, and so it was like, it, it's kind of okay, it's not his fault, so they should let him go. But thankfully, the, the justice system was like, no, no, that, that can't be a reason for you to get off. A wrong was done, so there must be punishment. We can't just let people do whatever they want, regardless of the excuse that they have. If you've done something wrong, they must be punishment. The law of accounting is the same. If you borrow money and then all of a sudden you can't pay it back and then maybe that person comes to you and says, you know what, it's cool. You don't have to pay me. Right? That's an act of grace. It's incredible. I I no longer have to pay you back. That's amazing. But then to walk away and think like, well, that money just magically disappeared. That's foolish. It didn't just disappear. That debt didn't just disappear. Maybe for you, but somebody took the hit. Somebody took the hit. Somebody has less money because of you, because you couldn't pay back that debt. See, it's the same when we sin against God. There has to be judgment because God is a God of justice. And if he wasn't a God of justice, then he wouldn't be a God of love. If he let us do whatever we wanted, it's like, okay, you do you, and oh, shame, someone died, okay, cool, Uh, it's okay, let's just carry on. That's not loving. And so because he's loving, he applies justice. Therefore, meaning that God is a God of judgment. He's a God of judgment. That there has to be punishment. But here's the good news, right? They normally say uh, when you're preparing for a sermon and you're about to deliver it, uh, you want to leave Jesus for right at the end. That's, like the, that's how you end the sermon. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stick it right here. Here's the good news. Is that someone was punished for your sin, for my sin. Someone was punished. Jesus came down willingly, willingly, And stepped in our place. When we were found guilty. Because that's what happened. We were found guilty. And the sentence was death. Jesus steps in right at that moment. And says you know what. I'll take the hit. I'll take the hit. Somebody has to. He says I'll do it. What an incredible act of grace. And so, if we want to talk about grace and not talk about judgment, it dilutes the grace that God has given us. But when we understand the the full weight of God's judgment, it allows us to swim in the beautiful depth of His grace. To know that I have done wrong against Him. I have done wrong against Him. 
But because of grace, he sends his son Jesus to stand in my place. And so because God is a God of justice, he says, okay, Jesus, I will pour my wrath, that the wrath that was meant for you and me, I will pour it on my son, and he'll take the hit. Grace comes after judgment. And that's the message that, that God says, Jonah, I want you to go to this city. I want you to, to, to go to this city with this, this message that, listen, judgment is coming, but if they turn to me, I will give them grace. I will give them grace. That's the message that he gives to them. That's the message that he gives to us. That we're no different from Jonah. That's the message that is given to us. See, grace is about second chances. And so Jonah receives grace himself. But then he's then sent to go give grace. To go tell people that, listen, judgment is coming. That we have, all of us have sinned. We all of us fall short of the glory of God. But there's grace for you. In the same way that grace was given to me. See, all of us are missionaries. That's the point. Is that all of us are missionaries like Jonah. All of us have been sent somewhere. See, we've got to get this thing out of our minds where, where we think a, a missionary is only someone who, who leaves the country, goes to a, a different culture, maybe for a, a short period of time to go share the good news of the gospel. Yes, that's a missionary, and we should pray for them and, and resource them and love them, but, but if you're going to stay here in the city of Pretoria, you need to know that you yourselves are missionaries. You yourselves are missionaries. And so I agree with Charles Haddon Spurgeon where he says, every Christian is either a missionary or an imposter. Every Christian is either a missionary or an imposter. I hope that cuts deep. But that's so true. That is so true that God saves us. He gives us grace so that we might go out and be agents of that grace to the world. God is on mission. God is on mission. He's always been on mission. And so when he saves you, when you cross that line of faith, he draws you to himself so that you might be a light to the darkness. You cannot separate the two. You cannot separate the two. And if you're, you're sitting there and you're going, man, I, I, I don't know if I can agree with that. I, I, I'm just waiting for that day where Jesus is just going to come and get me and it's going to be great. Then you might be an imposter. You may not have understood the grace that God wants to give to you. He saves you and then he sends you. It's a theme that we see throughout the scriptures. God calls people to himself and then he says, I want you to go out with that same grace that I have given you. I want you to go out and give it to others. I want you to go and tell people that judgment is coming, but if you turn to God, grace is given to you. His grace is sufficient. And so that's what he says to Jonah. I want you to, to go to the city I want you to go to the city and tell them of the grace that is found in putting your trust in God in the same way, Jonah, that you have done. 
So Jonah's given grace and then sent out with grace. But let's see what he does. Let's see what he does. Verse 3. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh, according to the word of the Lord. Right? Things look good. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city. Three days journey in breath. So if you started on one end and you started walking, it would take you three days to get to the other side. It was a massive city. Verse 4. Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey. And he called out, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And the people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. Now, when I first saw this, I was like, yo, Jonah's a beast. Shows up into a city, gives a sermon, and this sermon is only eight words. Y'all see this, only eight words. Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. Done. I know some of you sitting here going, man, I wish Rooted was like that. But this guy carries on for like 40 minutes. I mean, I, I look at that and I'm, I'm blown away. I'm like, Jonah is a beast at preaching. Eight words, and then, and then the city just comes to faith. But as I began to, to read more and, and got deeper into Jonah, I was like, now hold on here. Jonah, you... You don't tell them why they need to turn to God. You don't even talk about God. You don't even, you don't even say who's going to bring this judgment. You, you just show up and go, hey, you guys got 40 days, and then this place is going to burn. Like, no, no, no. There's a lot missing there. If we were to, to critique his sermon, we'd be like, Jonah, man, there are so many holes. Maybe preaching is not for you. What on earth is going on here? See, if we look at the the book of Jonah as a whole, you begin to realize some things here. That yes, Jonah is a missionary, but boy, is he messy. He is messy. He is messed up. And so having looked at it and gone, what an amazing sermon, to now like, What on earth is going on? See, as Jonah was walking through the city, I mean, he didn't even get halfway. He was a day in. He didn't even get halfway. And Some historians say that it it was at the center of the city. That's where you would find the most influence. So if you wanted to, to communicate a message, hoping that it would spread like wildfire, you'd want to go to the center of the city. He didn't even make it to the center. A day's journey in, and then he's like, all right, hey guys, 40 days, and then you guys are going to burn. See, what was happening is, is Jonah was slipping back into that self-righteousness. That self-righteousness that we found in chapter 1, where he didn't want to go to the city, because he was like, no, 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 listen, God, I don't want them to get saved. They don't deserve your grace. He was slipping back into that. See, I can only imagine for Jonah, as he's, he's walking and looking around, he was, I mean, a fish out of water. A, a Hebrew man walking into this city where people were doing whatever they wanted. Cutting up pork all over the place. People dressed inappropriately. Inappropriate relationships. I'm sure he, he must have been walking and just going, 
you know what? I mean, when I first started this trip, I was like, yes, God, you saved these people. Now I'm like, I don't think they deserve your grace. I don't think they're worth your time, God. He was slipping back into that self-righteousness. And so he gets one day in and he's just like, you know what, I'm not even going to tell them the whole message. Hey, 40 days, guys. Maybe even whispered it like, hope, hope no one hears this because I don't think they deserve this grace. 40 days and they'll burn. What a messy mission. He had just been given grace. He had just experienced grace himself. And it took one day. And he's like, you know what? I deserve it, but not them. Now, before we attack Jonah, I just want to say, we're no different from him. We are no different from him. See, we'll get excited about, about starting a new church right here in the city of Pretoria. We'll get excited that it's, it's going to be gospel-centered, disciple-making, transcultural. That means that we're going to reflect and embrace and enjoy the diversity of the city. I'm so excited. Can't wait to do it. And then after a while, you're like, mm, I don't know if I really want to sit next to this person. It's so different from me. Do I really want to do this. I don't know if I want to go out and, and, and take the gospel to, to my community. Because in my community, there are people who are different from me. Have you seen what they do? Have you seen how they act? No, God, I don't know. I don't know if they're worthy of your grace. We do the same thing. We are no different from Jonah. We find ourselves slipping back into this self-righteousness where maybe it's, it's, it's about us, right? It's about rooted fellowship. And maybe even within rooted fellowship, it's, a, it's about a certain group of us who, who we kind of believe the same thing. We like the same style of music. We read the same books. We go to the same movies. It's about us. Are you going to reach out to that person who's different? Uh, I don't know. And there's a number of reasons why we do this. But for the sake of time, I'll just go into one. It's called the idol of comfort. The idol of comfort. And I believe the church as a whole has, has kind of built churches, built these communities on this idol of comfort. I've heard this expression before, um, that the church is not a cruise ship but a battleship. That there's a difference See, on a, a cruise ship, for those who've been fortunate enough to go on one, I, I will never do that. I think it's, I think, can I, let me just digress for a moment. I think it's incredibly crazy for you to get on this massive ship and then sail out to the open waters and then just hang out and say, I'm going to have fun here. That, that, just, that just doesn't make any sense to me. Um, so don't, don't invite me on a camping trip and don't invite me on a cruise. I'm just putting it out there. Um, and so we've, we've created churches uh, to become like a cruise ship where on a cruise ship it's about your comfort. So are you comfortable? Ma'am, is everything okay? Is the, is the air conditioning all right? Is the food to your liking? How's the bed? Is the bed okay? No, it's uncomfortable. Oh, I'm sorry. Okay, uh, we'll sort that out. We'll, we'll, I'm so sorry. The church is not a cruise ship. In fact, I, I think that illustration um, has, has no weight anymore. 
Because I think this is what we've done. We've converted the church not to a cruise ship because at least a cruise ship is going somewhere. I think today's churches, some of them look like hotels. It's these massive structures that we have and they're there to to cater for your needs, to make sure that you're comfortable. But that's not the church. That is not who we are. We're, We're rather a battleship. That we're on mission. That we've been given grace and our mission is to take that grace to broken places. And and, and yes, look, man, I I want us to be a church where we, we do what we can with incredible excellence to the glory of God. We will always do that. But it's not going to be about your comfort. In fact, if we are truly going to reflect and embrace and enjoy a transcultural community, a diverse community, at times, then you should feel uncomfortable. You really should feel uncomfortable. Because this, this is not your natural home. Like, it's not where you, you come and you're like, listen, I, I fit in. No, it's I don't sing those kinds of songs. They're different. I don't hang out with these kinds of people. They're different. But if we're truly going to embrace this community, if we're truly going to go out and take this this gospel of grace to a broken world, then it can't be about our comfort. It's got to be about the mission. It's got to be about the mission. God gives us grace, and then he says, I want you to take that same grace to broken places. And it's going to be uncomfortable. I'm just going to go ahead and tell you now, it's going to be uncomfortable. When you hang out with people who want nothing to do with the Lord, it's crazy how I run into so many Christians and they get shocked when people who aren't Christian act like people who aren't Christian. It's like, why are you confused? They they never said, listen, I want to uh, uh, prescribe to the scriptures. But rather it's, How can we take grace there? How can we show you that God has something far better for you than what you're running after? It's going to get uncomfortable. We're like Jonah. We're messy missionaries. We'll receive grace and we'll be excited about it. And then we'll be like, let's go. Let's let's take this to broken places. And it's not very long. And then we're like, ah. It was easier back at my old church or my old community where everything was the same. Everyone did what I did. Verse 5. And the people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. I love that. I love that, the fact that God will take Jonah's minimal effort and use it for maximum impact. That's what God does. That's what God does, is he'll take our, our, our minimal effort and use it for maximum impact. An eight-word sermon that, that has so much missing in it. But rather, we're told that the people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast, put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least. The the reason that they fasted and and put on sackcloth in in this time, that was 
You did this when you were mourning. See, what was happening is that the people had come to a realization that they had offended God, that they were sinning against God, and and so they had become aware of this judgment that was coming, and so they were mourning. Do we mourn over our sin? Do we? Do we mourn over our sin? After realizing that we have sinned against him, do we come to a place where we go, oh my goodness, what have I done? Or is it we hate the consequences of our sin, not so much the actual sin? See, when we don't get caught, then we just kind of carry on. Life is normal. See, it's in those moments where we need to pause for a moment and go, I have sinned against God. Had Jesus not come, the full weight of God's wrath would be on me. Because God is a God of love. He's a God of justice. And so therefore, judgment must come. But He is gracious. God is gracious. He was gracious with the people of Nineveh. He's gracious with us. Verse 6, the word reached the king of Nineveh and he arose from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth and satin ashes. And he issued a proclamation and published through Nineveh. By the decree of the king and his nobles, let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. This guy is like, he's blown away by what he's done, how he has offended God. He's like, listen, I'm going to call for a national fast. Let them not feed or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. Who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. See, where Jonah failed to explain the full message God is sovereign and he's gracious in that now the king is unpacking what Jonah should have unpacked. A man who wanted nothing to do with God now is saying, listen, here is why. Here is why. It's because we've done a great evil. We've offended God. And so let us, let us turn to him hoping that he will be slow to anger. That yes, God is a God of judgment, but he is slow to anger. You find that phrase scattered throughout the scriptures. That yes, he's a God of judgment, but he is slow to anger. We see this in Exodus chapter 34. See, Moses leads the people out of Egypt on their way to the promised land as God had said. They see miracle after miracle after miracle. First, leaving slavery. Then they get to the Red Sea. They see God part the Red Sea. They go through. Egyptians drown. They're now in the desert. They're hungry. God brings manna from the heavens. They see miracle after miracle after miracle. God's hand of grace over them. And so Moses then says, okay, cool. Uh, I need to go meet up with God up in the mountains. Heads up to go get the Ten Commandments. On his way back, the same people who 
had cried out to God, rejoicing because he had delivered them, have now created idols made of gold. They had turned their backs on God. Hey, just like we do. And so, and so Moses is now, now back up in the mountain talking to God, and, and God is like, listen, I, I, I've given them grace. They've turned their back on me. Now I'm bringing judgment. Moses begins this negotiation, and that's what I call it, because I think it's amazing. He begins this negotiation with God, like, God, you don't do it. Uh, don't kill them. Don't. What, what will people say? That you, you bring your people out of slavery only to kill them in the desert? God is like, but I'm a God of judgment. I wouldn't be loving They've done this great wrong, and so there must be punishment. Moses continues, but, but, but let your grace, let your... Okay, then he, he shouts out to God, and he says, show me your glory. Realizing, listen, I, I have nothing more to say to him. Show me your glory. Basically, do whatever it is that you want to do, because you are God. God says, all right, here's a cloud. Because you cannot see my face, God sends a cloud. And it kind of passes over Moses. But right at the end of that cloud, we get Exodus 34, verse 6. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. You want me to show you my glory? Yes, I am a God of judgment, but I am slow to anger. I'm patient. That's what he's saying. I'm, I'm, I'm patient with you. You want to know if, uh, is God being gracious with me? If you still have breath, he's patient with you. He's slow to anger. Not that he's not angry. No, no, no. Don't read it wrong. But rather he's slow to anger. You want to know if God loves you? He's slow to anger. He's patient with you. He was slow to anger with the people in Nineveh. And so they cried out to him and they said, Lord, if you will, if you will, give us grace. Because he is slow to anger, he says, okay. Okay. This tells us that grace leads to repentance. God's grace will lead to repentance. Verse 10, when God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them, and he did not do it. When they turned to God, he saved them. God's grace leads to salvation. And so if you're sitting here and you're going, man, I, I don't know how I ended up here, or maybe I got invited by someone, or I wasn't planning on coming to church, but here I am. God wants you to know that He is slow to anger, that He's patient with you, and that His grace will lead to salvation. That's the story that we see throughout the Scriptures. The same grace that draws you in the same grace that tells you that He loves you more than you could ever imagine. It's the same grace that He wants you to go out with. 
There's people out there that need to know that God is slow to anger, that He is patient. And upon hearing that, upon hearing that He is gracious, the hope is that it would lead to salvation. That would lead for, to them turning away from whatever it is that they were pursuing, whether it's relationships, whether it's sex, whether it's money, whether it's academics. Turning from that and saying, you know what, I need to turn to God. I need to turn to the one who will give me life. That that is an act of grace. That is an act of grace. And so I hope that, that you, would, you would hear that this morning, that, that yes, we're messy people. We're messy people. I'm a messy person. I'm a person that would rather choose comfort over doing anything. But God uses messy people to communicate this incredible message of grace. He doesn't give up on Jonah. He doesn't give up on Jonah. God will not give up on you. You may sit here and go, but you have no idea. Listen, if you knew what I did, not five years ago, not one year ago, last night, God uses messy people because His grace covers messy people. And then He'll send you out with that message of grace to a broken world, to a broken city, Nineveh, exactly like our city, the city of Pretoria, in desperate need of a Savior. Because His grace covers that. Because we serve a God who is slow to anger, who is patient with us. And the world needs to hear that. That's God's plan. That's God's plan. There's no plan B. That's always been His plan. Drawing people to Himself so that He might send them out with one message that God loves you more than you could ever imagine. And that all He's asking you to do is to turn to Him, to put your trust in Him. And that He is patient with you. I, I sometimes show up here on a Sunday and I'm like, Surely not. Like, this is, this is it. Like, God, this is the plan. This is how you're planning to, 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 to reach the city of Pretoria. I mean, you look around. I, I'm, not, I'm not trying to say you guys aren't impressive people. You really are. But, but I know, I know that y'all are messy. Y'all have issues. I know that. And so I, I pause and I'm like, so God, you're going to use us? Really, this is your plan. And he says, yes, that's always been the plan. For those who receive the message of grace, it's the same people who will go out into a broken world and share this message of grace. I am slow to anger. I am patient with you. Will you turn to me? Will you turn to me? Because all that you're searching for is found in me. That's what God is saying. Let's pray. And so, Father, this 
this morning again, I'm reminded that you use the little that we have. The little that we have. You will use messy people like myself to reach a nation. And so, Lord, I I pray that the same grace that you have given us, the same grace that draws us to you, would be the same grace that we go out into the world with, that we go out into the city of Pretoria with. It's the same grace that we go into our neighborhoods, into our places of work, with our friends and our family, to those who are radically different from us. Just like us, they need your grace. And so would you send us out with this message? God, you're a God of love. And because you're a God of love, you're just, you're fair. And if that's true, then you're a God of judgment. It's it's a hard pill to swallow, but it's true that you're a God of judgment. And it's only when we understand the full breadth and weight of that judgment, only when we understand that we have sinned against a holy God, do we get to swim in the depth of your grace? When we look at ourselves and we're like, we're not perfect. If people knew just half of the things that I was doing, I don't know if they would love me. But God, you know everything. You see everything. And you still love us. And how do we know that you love us? Is that you're slow to anger. You're patient with us. That as long as we have breath, there's an opportunity for us to turn to you. And so, Father, I pray that this would be a time for those who don't know you, for those who are wrestling, for those maybe who are even on the fence. To use this opportunity just to say, God, I'm tired of searching and running after all these things. And I feel like I'm hitting the ceiling. I want to turn to you. And even if they don't do that today, I pray that this would be a safe community where they can journey where they can be in a place where they can continue to walk a road with others. Messy people. We're all messy people in desperate need of you. Father, we love you. We praise you. In Jesus' name, amen.